This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm on the app. Hello. Hi. Hey, what's up, y'all? Hey, 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 Nubians and everybody else. Uh, Dr. Carr is on location. And I'm loving this because uh, 122 episodes in a row, unbroken. Unbroken. You've been out in them streets. You are in Houston. You are in Houston. With with your mama over your shoulder. I love that. Yeah, so I'm getting her hair fixed. I'm actually in her room here in Houston. My uh, sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew um, are here. And, well, they're not here. I think the only one here now is my nephew plays football he can really go overseas again to some germany somewhere with my niece is running i think she's running the 400 this morning so they all wow. uh, went to the track meet that child is uh i think she's gonna be a tennessee state tiger bill at least that's what everybody hopes <laughs> so you know these young people not playing with these hbcus uh wow. Professor Hunter, they are going to black they're going back to black just like us we are the renewed normal this is the renewed normal these children are going yeah it is oh there it is i have to update this because this is the old one now no, no, no. That's, it, well it, well it, it was it, it, nubia is the new normal we broke the back during the epidemic and uh although i am in a place that doesn't seem to believe in masks although black people do black people out here wearing masks but i see these you know yeehaw free people and that's cool you know just stay away from me but this is the second time I wasn't um, at the house. The first time, of course, we were all in Hershey, thanks to you. So uh, all the Nubians know, of course, and then you posted and gave a little tease of that. But this is our first time in two years yeah. going live like well, this. Looking so. forward to doing more because uh, you, you did a little video when you got off uh, the plane. Yeah. Uh, we're going to play that at the end uh, for the Nubians. And I just, you know, this is, this is we're in some... I woke up this morning in Bangladesh. Is it Bangladesh? They, Sri Lanka. Uh, Sri Lanka. They mm-hmm. ran, they ran, Isn't it lovely? The people not putting up with it. They not. They ran their president out of his own head, out of his own house while Brett Kavanaugh is mad because he can't eat at a restaurant. Yeah. Um, He's, Brett Kavanaugh is never going to be able to eat another meal. He might just stock up on beer and stay at the house because uh, you tore your little country up and now you worried about somebody having decorum. Don't worry about it. Or, or maybe he can get on the uh, the RV. And this is right about the same the time that that uh, good servant of his master, uh, Clarence Thomas, and his uh, minder Jenny. Don't they usually get in the uh, RV at this point? Drive across America and enjoy going places where people don't know them. And uh, yes, that's about to say less. Maybe Brett can get in there with them. And the handmaid, you can take McGonagall Gorsuch with you. And y'all can go on the tour. Uh, I don't think there are enough armed guards, however. And it ain't even about shooting or violence. It's just about y'all don't want to be disturbed. You disturbed everybody else. But yeah, Sri Lanka, I mean, and I shouldn't say it's good because people are losing their lives. But, you know, desperate people, you press us against the wall, what are we going to do? I mean, you think about a person who was a former military, former minister of defense, you know, studied in America, came in. You know, it's like there's been all of these, I I feel like there's an awakening all over the world where people are like, "Mm, this feels like colonization and oppression. Y'all don't have to put up with this, you know, and we're like the only country that allowed for a whole ass insurrection that was wrong, you know, it was the opposite. And they feel like they're the ones that were doing the thing, like they brought in Boris Johnson out in England and, you oh, know, yeah, letting the queen know that she's not welcome in Jamaica and Barbados and other places like we're not doing this monarchy thing either. Y'all can go ahead with that. I, I feel like America's a, like the last, y'all, we're, we're like remedial or something. Like Maybe, maybe. 
maybe it just hasn't quite emerged into view again i mean i can't stress this enough and you know this is the importance of this space this is a new space and i love the way paul coates the founder of black classic press calls his press he says this is it back when they started it back in the 80s he says you know this is a new press with some very old ideas and so narrative nubia this is a new formation with some very old ideas it's that's what we had to say it's the renewed normal and what we're seeing is part of the work of this space and by the way everybody here i mean cindy george picked me up at the airport my man kofi taharka who is the chair of the national uh, black united front this is the mbuff shirt this year 43rd national convention when i leave here i'm going over there i'll be there all day and then over to the shrine of the black madonna i'm gonna talk about some of the black institutions here professor hunter because everywhere i went everybody love 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 cindy's a newbie by the way she picked me up there for her mama who is a lifelong teacher in pensacola she said when we were talking about oh thanksgiving she said Cindy doesn't miss. She's a journalist, wrote for many years. I mean, she's a big fan of yours. I'm, I, I think y'all yeah, know each other. I mean, she goes all the way back. I'm talking about Oregon, North Carolina, you know, all kinds of places. She worked here for uh, the Chronicle for many years, Houston Chronicle. And her mom's a school teacher. She was raised by school teachers there in Florida. And she said she was visiting her mom. She's there. She's watching in class. We're here in the conversation. And she said her mom is like, she thought it was an actual class because she's like getting an MPH or something. <laughs> so she said, oh, it's a class. And then she said, well, I'm going to leave you alone. So she went to the other room. But when we started talking about Lou Rawls, her mother, she said, I looked around and she was looking over my shoulder. Next thing is she was sitting there and, and you cannot make this up. Now, well, by the way, we're on the way to Emancipation Park, by the way. That's where, you know, Jack Yates, that's where, you know, the first Juneteenth in Houston. And so she says her mom then, after she watched us, now she's hooked. She don't miss. But she said her father, she said, my daddy sounded just like Lou Rawls. My mother grew up in a community. These are black women, entrepreneurs. They had juke joints. They had hair salons. They built all this stuff. And the place her mom grew up, her grandmother had this place. The guy would come out with you know, with the jukebox. They had a 45. Every two weeks, he would come and switch out all the records <laughs> and give the records to the kids. So she said, my mom got this incredible record collection. She said when she got to school, she went to Alabama State, believe it or not, Alabama State College for Negroes. That's where Fred Gray went. We'll talk about Fred Gray in a minute. She said she got there, and her roommate had a Lou Rawls record, and she was playing Lou Rawls. And she said, who is that? I never heard that. She said, I thought I heard everybody. I, 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 I literally grew up with a jukebox. The guy gave us the 45s every two weeks. I don't know that voice. She said, <laughs> when she heard Lou Rawls, she fell in love with Lou Rawls' voice. And she said, I'll end this story with this. She said, my father sounded just like Lou Rawls. My mother was not satisfied until she found a man who could be a Lou Rawls clone. <laughs> and we went in this whole story. But when she heard us talking about Lou Rawls, she said, oh, this isn't, I thought this was your clip. She Everywhere I went, it's stories like that down here. So I'm just saying, this is the renewed normal. People been looking for this space, not to build something that wasn't already there completely, but to convene all these people who have been doing all this work. Because there's a whole, I'm talking about this, there's a whole other story about all these black women school teachers. All that she she started talking about the teacher associations. Her grandmother, her mother knew about that. All this stuff. 
this is a this is like a clearinghouse. And I was scrolling through Nubia, well, we hours of this morning, and I saw Gerald talking about the Commonwealth meeting, Gerald Horn, because somebody posted it in Nubia. Again, for those of you who are not yet in Nubia, this is this is like the Mbangi. Everybody's posting stuff, people are commenting. And I watched Gerald talk about things that you know I've heard him talk about before, and he and I have talked about before. But of course, the Commonwealth met. The Commonwealth met a couple of weeks ago, Juneteenth week, actually. And they were in Kigali. They were in Rwanda. Boris Johnson was there. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the queen's son name? The one was married to Diana. Who, Charles? Charles and his wife, right, the Dutch. They were there because they like to pretend like they're still in charge. But as Gerald was saying, the Commonwealth, which is all the former colonies of Great Britain who are no longer colonies, he said the leader of the Commonwealth nations now is that 1.3 billion person country called India. And I watched, then I went and looked at the Commonwealth, because all online, I watched some of the sessions. Uh, the president, Paul Kagame of uh, Rwanda, his wife led this whole conversation about women in power. They had a parallel youth summit. All these Black people from all over the continent of Africa and India and the Caribbean, every place they spoke English. So I'm looking around for me and more mildly. I'm saying, where's this problem here? My point is that it's over for Great Britain. Them little islands that caught lightning in a bottle as Harold French relates in Born in Blackness, because the Dutch really had the lead in the Spanish, the Portuguese, and here come the English. They 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 basically lucked out historical dumb luck and violence, which is why we have this conversation in English. Watching the Commonwealth, what you're, what you're saying about this sentiment, this rising sentiment in the world, it's here too. It's here too. It's in Houston. It's in these institutions. I'm saying it's the place I'm going in Buff. It's their 43rd convention. It's international. It just hasn't quite gotten to the social structure where they can continue to ignore it. They can still continue to ignore it. But when it hits, it's going to be like, what happened? No, this was always here. Like Malcolm said. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, some, sometimes I feel like, you know, we, we, we get almost there. There's a, a, a video of, of Muhammad Ali floating around this morning uh, where a journalist asked him about, you know, um, not fighting in the war. And he said, you, you white people, you know, you want me to go over there again and fight, but I'm fighting you. You're my enemy. You're he my said, enemy. You my poser. You, you my poser. Right. <laughs> you know, I was listening to Malcolm Kenyatta in Pennsylvania, you know. Yes. Talk, I mean, tell me about that because I only saw, caught a glimpse. He was giving them hell. And I really so, wish I could have. Well, tell, tell us about that. Some people may not know what you're talking about. I don't want to say it was so articulate, but, you know, it was the way he laid it out in such a measured way. It's like you 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 went against the will of the people, this, legis this legislative body. You did this. And now you don't want to answer for all of the things. I mean, he just laid them out and they cut his mic off. Of course. Let's do it in Pennsylvania State House. They've done that many times. Uh, you are, you know, you're out of order or whatever. And he just kept talking. But I, I was, I was, I, I, I love that young brother, North Philly. Hey, look, them, uh, I was, uh, Let's see if I could find it. I, I actually, okay. I'm gonna find it it's and play sweet. it. Hold on, let me yeah, because the Congressional Black Caucus weekend before COVID. Uh, young brother who was in our Philadelphia Freedom Schools, who was a city councilman there, Isaiah Thomas, just a phenomenal young brother. Uh, he uh, went to Frankfurt High School. Him and brother Marvin and a bunch of other young people. We've had they were they they were in our first cohort of Freedom School students in 1999, and now he's on the city council in, in, in Philadelphia. And he asked me to come and be on a panel during Congressional Black Caucus Week in D.C. 
And, you know, sometimes I go down there, I go down there very specifically, though, if I'm invited to do something, you know. And so he had this convening about Black political power, the history of it, what they're doing now. And he had all of these young people. I don't think there was anybody in that conversation who was un, was over 40. Most of them in their 30s, some of them in their 20s. And I laughed because there were a number of these young people who were in the Pennsylvania State House, because you know it's not just uh, Malcolm Kenyatta in the State House, and we're sitting there. And of course, like I said, Philly is my Bill. Yeah. Oh, there he is. Yes. And the thing about it is, these are these are brilliant, freedom fighting, people loving, black people loving, grounded young people who are elected officials. And when they get up and speak, they're not conforming to what they think other people think black people should look like, sound like, and they are giving them holy hell. So when I saw that little clip of Malcolm Kenyatta, I couldn't stop and watch it. Did you find it, bro? Yeah, I did. I'm going to share it. Yeah, give, um, us, give, us a little, give us a little taste of that. Because, of course, in Pennsylvania, they trying to, the, the white nationalists are now trying to just go ahead and do their theocracy. You know, they, they're coming to the handmaid's tale. And, of course, we saw in Ohio, they're trying to introduce legislation to teach both sides of the Jewish Holocaust. I mean, so, you know, I'm shouting out to them because they're a beautiful group of white nationalists. And this is what happens when a white nationalist strikes a rock. Let's see what this brother. Yeah, let me take another side. I don't know. So, how do you teach both sides of the Holocaust? Well, both sides of the Holocaust is, is well, what, the Nazi what, side, of course. What, 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 is what? Is what? Like, what, 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 what is the justification for? The for justification our, is uh, we rule and you get down or lay down, in the words of Beanie Siegel from uh, Siegel Street and in, in Philly, get down or lay down. The, the both sides is we don't care about truth, we care about power. But see, the problem is y'all are outnumbered and you're about to find out. So will you help, help us? What What is he doing? This is when they All were right. debating that that abortion, uh, those yeah. abortion limits. Go ahead, play. Six, it's about more than protecting the freedom to choose. And that's right. It is about more than just the freedom to choose. And so I think it is worth the time to actually dissect some of these half lies and to tell the whole truth about what is in this bill. And I'd like to do it one by one. And so we've had a number of my colleagues on the other side. They have suggested numerous times that if we pass SB 106, nothing will change. They've said it so many times that this bill would not actually ban abortion. That this bill would do nothing to make this commonwealth more pro-life. This bill is just more of the same. Why are you here at 7.30 to do something that does nothing? That's a half truth and it's starting to feel like a lie. I've heard my colleagues on the other side. These folks trust voters now. They trust the voters. 64 members of the Republican Party signed a letter to throw out the votes of Pennsylvania voters. But now you trust the voters. Mr. Speaker. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please suspend. Gentlemen, please suspend. Mr. Speaker, suspend. Look at him. 
Look at this inbred back alley clown. See, they, they are from Central Casting. This yeah. is the cast of the Andy Griffith show. He's still talking though, right? Yeah, he's still talking. They cut off John's his mic. For what purposes yeah, the I don't need to hear that motherfucker anymore. All right. No, I love it. I love those guys because, see, this is the thing. They are appealing to the lowest common denominator. The, at the heart of any hatred is fear. So you got to get the cats with no chin, the five o'clock shadow, the people who were the people who people bullied as children. You know, it's no accident that Andrew DeSantis looks rumpled. This guy's got two Ivy League degrees and he was judge advocate general. He's playing a role. These are the people who sit in the dark and lust after black people who are dancing across their screens at night and then go out in the daytime and, and get the police and sick them on black. Because the underneath the hatred is fear and underneath the fear is desire. See, so 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 the idea is I want to control women. Why? Because I desire women. And I want to, I want women to do what I want them to do. So when you see a young brother like that who you can't you know, he Philly, he hood, he young. You also got this. Is he it, it, Malcolm Kenyatta's LBGTQ yeah, part of LBGTQ? Right? And, and so I don't want to say LBGTQ community as such. I'm just saying he he overflows all of your ability to control him. And so you know, this guy standing up there, Mr. Speaker, wants to span. This is a guy who, you know, and this is from somebody myself who worked at Arby's, worked at Wendy's, cut grass. In fact, I clown my brother and sister. I say, you won't say in-law. I'm like, who cut this grass? I said, my nephew cut this grass. Did y'all cut this grass? <laughs> and I cut this grass. I said, man, where the lawnmower at? We cut grass in this house. I don't understand. We got cut. My point is, the guy standing there would have been a guy, when I was growing up, pushing a lawnmower cutting grass. In other words, but now he got a suit on up there with a gavel in his hand. He can't spell the word gavel, but he banging it because there was a time in word I could have had you shot. So only other thing I can do now is turn off the mic and you're going to stop talking. Now, if I put my hands on you, that's when we're going to find out something else because you'll dust me up and won't even break a sweat. But my fear is that I'm losing control. That's why they're there introducing this. So, so Malcolm Kenyatta Pennsylvania had an opportunity to send him to the general election for the Senate. That's right. He came in third. He was roundly defeated. And I hear now a lot of people, oh, what? why didn't, why didn't, why didn't, why didn't? And I said, you know, everyone wants to bitch about something, but you don't actually want to, you don't really want change. Do you really want change? Do you really want equity? Do you really want justice? Do you really want the things that you say out of your mouth? Or do you just want to bitch about the things? <laughs> You had an opportunity to put this man in a position to go to the Senate. I would like to see him in the Senate because I know he's not going to lay down and, and go along and get along. And I also know he loves black people. How about I that? know that. I know that. Um, and, and what that means to me, and, I, you know, it's not even about like, oh, you know, race or racism. It's if you love black people, then you're you, you love all people. That's the way I look at it, because That's you're right. going to take care of everybody because you understand what it feels like to be oppressed. So you're going to be fighting for the right. You Everyone benefits when we benefit. And that's the twisted, effed up thing about America is that people who vote don't understand. You denying us rights means that everybody suffers. The opposite happens when you give people rights, when you give us the vote and whatever, because we're going to look out for everybody de facto. It's just going to happen, you know, because this is just how we roll. But I just, I'm I don't know, Dr. Carr, that that's what we see in Sri Lanka and in Great Britain and in all of these islands. 
actually is fomented here because more people voted for Trump when they had an opportunity. More white women who put on pussy hats in 2016 showed their asses up and voted for Trump. And they're going to vote for DeSantis. And I don't feel like anything, you know, even with this abortion, Biden yesterday, oh, women need to show up and vote. And I was like, I don't trust them women to show up to vote, period. Not for not for righteousness. Nope. No, no, no. I think it, it's very... There's no roadmap. There's no roadmap. I was looking at an economist the other day who was explaining how, as an economist, when you start talking about the economy of countries and a global economy, you can't just pick one or two indicators. I think it was Richard Wolff, actually, interestingly enough. Uh, the analogy he made was a doctor. You're not feeling well. Your body is aches and pains. You go to the doctor. Said, Doc, give me a workup. Tell me what's going on. And uh, the doctor sticks a thermometer in your mouth and says, oh, 98.7. You're okay. Said, well, you don't go to that doctor again. Why? Because that's the only indicator you're going to use. He says, so economists who try to pick out things like stock market, the stock market is going to, that doesn't tell me about my, my condition, the gas prices. So the gas prices, is, that doesn't tell me about my condition. I mean, you, and he says, you don't get to pick. I think about my friend and colleague, Bill Spriggs, uh, first-rate economist, who every time the jobs report comes out, Bill gets on social media and gives us all the indicators. I remember many years ago reading about how Alan Greenspan used to get up and have breakfast. And you know how the Dons, these white Dons, the, the so-called masters of the world do it. And they would sit and talk about everything, commodity prices, what corn do you get, so what pork bellies do you get, you know, almost like a real life version of the Duke and Duke brothers in uh, Trading Places, right, Eddie Murphy. And, and Wolf's point was you can't just use one indicator. You've got to have the full panoply. And even that is not going to tell you with certainty. Why did I go around the, the, the bush? Professor Hunter, as you talked about, as you evoke this, you know, we're not sure what's going on in Sri Lanka. I mean, you know, we see what just happened in England. We're seeing what's going on in France with Macron. We see what's going on in Colombia, as I just read an article in Financial Times this morning, where, you know, these people with money in Bogota and other places in Colombia are now looking into buying real estate and relocating to Miami. Uh, in Miami-Dade County, several million people, about half of them are uh, Latinx or whatever you want to call people, the Spanish-speaking, and many of those folks are rich because they flee these places. And uh, the the uh, Colombian peso is down 12%. But you know, people are saying, well, is that because they're afraid this left-wing government is coming in, the left-wing president, who, by the way, it can't change everything. And to Wolf's point, you can't look at just one indicator, you've got to look at a range of them. And even then, you can't predict. We see what the headlines are today. Elon Musk doing what we knew he was going to do when he began to beat the bottom of the pan about these, oh, well, those bots. I mean, no, you went out. So he's going to, you know, I want to nix the deal. Um, and sure, Malcolm Kenyatta could have been uh, running against Mehmet Oz, right? Dr. Oz, a uh, creation of Oprah Gail Winfrey. Pause. Um, condolences to Oprah as her father Vernon out of Nashville, East Nashville barber for many, many years uh, has made transition um, in the last 24 hours. Actually, I was up, my sister actually told me, because, um, you know, we all knew Vernon Winfrey. Again, you know, Oprah hasn't been herself so many times. People who just watch the kind of gloss might think of one thing, but she was a very real 
person. You know, she went to Tennessee State University. She uh, worked at WVOL, and her daddy do things like take the head, uh, take the light bulbs out the headlights so she couldn't drive at night to keep her to keep her at home. And she was allowed to go read the news on WVOL, which was the black eighty AM talk show station. He just made transition, but Malcolm Kenyatta could have run against that invention of uh, of Oprah Winfrey, but the voters didn't come out. What is that an indicator of? Voter apathy? Sure, that's one factor, but there are a number of other factors involved. White nationalism? Absolutely. Because there are white people who are never Trumpers, who are anti-white nationalist party, who wouldn't vote for Malcolm Kenyatta because either they say I'm not voting for a black person or is the experience really you looked at the guy that y'all uh, eventually won the primary, right? I mean, he got a whole ass heart condition. But, or or yeah, I would vote for him, but I don't think he can win because these these white racists are crazy. Okay, which brings us to Joe. Star say Joe Manchin, but is there really a difference between Joe Manchin and Joe Biden? Not when it comes to the fantasy about what this is called, what this place called United States of America is. What are the indices of where we are? Well, Joe Biden seems to think that somehow there is goodwill in this country. And if you just say the right words, or if you just keep pleading, that somehow these people will reach a, a, a kind of bottom out and, and touch their feet, will touch the ground of their humanity, and they'll see the light and say, you know what, well, this was stupid. Joe, that's not going to happen. Just like when you were chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and you allow Clarence Thomas to get on the Supreme Court over the objection of damn near everybody who was a human being. Uh, in fact, on that committee was your friend, Mr. Bipartisan, uh, Alan Simpson, who you just gave the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously. In your, you know, they gave out all those medals uh, a couple of days ago. Simone Biles from here in Houston, you know, got a medal. And uh, the great Fred Gray and Diane Nash, warriors of the long human rights struggle in the United States, is often called the Civil Rights Movement. And uh, but you gave Alan Simpson and John McCain one. Why? Because you know John McCain ain't no hero, no damn hero. But you gave him one, and you gave Alan Simpson one because clearly what you're trying to do is uh, Megan Rapinoe. I mean, you're checking off boxes: gender, LGBTQ. Okay, then let me get the Catholic nun. Okay, I got that. And don't say you don't. You don't say you're not because it's absolutely what you're doing. And you sprinkle some heroes in there, right? I mean, so you understand because if this were a country, I'm sorry. It is a country. If this were a nation, which it is not, if this were a nation, then Simone Biles at 25 years old probably would not be the youngest ever recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Because Fred Gray, when he argued uh, to keep Martin Luther King out of jail, Fred Gray, when he walked up the steps of the Supreme Court to argue Gamillion versus Lightfoot, Dr. Gamillion and them boys out of Tuskegee, the voting rights case. You know, Fred Gray was 25 years old when Martin King and uh, his when his friend Edgar Daniel Nixon, E.D. Nixon down there in Montgomery, Alabama, the black brother, the, the Pullman Porter, who was the head of the Montgomery Proving Association, who came in there, who had been struggling for many years, NAACP, he was the one who was responsible for elevating uh, Ms. Rosa McCauley Parks when she was the youth secretary of the NAACP. I think she was 42, 43 years old at the time. Uh, when Edgar Daniel Nixon came and got uh, Fred Gray, this young lawyer, one of like two barred in the state, came coming out of Alabama State University again, Alabama State College at the time. Um, 
of course, Alabama State College providing those resistors. Those people were in their 20s and 30s, you know, listening yesterday once again to Cindy, Cindy George. Her mother went to Alabama State, as I mentioned. Cindy said uh, her mama was taught, and she may be listening this morning. Uh, she was taught by Joanne Robinson. She said, oh, yeah, my mother took English from Joanne Robinson at Alabama State College. If you don't know Joanne Robinson, of course, Joanne Robinson with the black women in Montgomery was the one who, along with those other sisters, was responsible for putting together the spine of the Montgomery bus boycott and the Women's Political Council. You can actually, Joanne Robinson published her own memoir about that, the Montgomery bus boycott and the women that, that led it. But, I mean, again, this space is so important, not because it's, it, it, it's paving new routes, exclusively, but because part of it is having a space where people come and, and as you always say, probably bringing your brick, you're bringing those memories. We're institution building and we're connecting. It isn't, I won't call, I won't call it networking. I'm going to abandon that language, that social structure language, because it's too entrepreneurial, it's too individualistic. We're talking about institution building, institution linking, and, and it was no institutions, uh, individuals don't beat institutions. So um, to kind of tie this together as it come to the point that you're raising, which is, you know, you had a chance to, to elevate this brother and put him in the federal legislature. And of course that chance was missed. But when we look at why it was missed, it's not as simple as voter apathy. It's not as simple as lack of organization or money. It's not as simple as sticking a thermometer in the mouth of the American population and trying to determine what's going on here by one or two headlines in a newspaper or this. We've got to look at the full range of symptoms, the full range of conditions. And then from that, even when we offer a diagnosis, it could still be wrong. As Asa Hilliard used to say, that's why they call it practice in medicine, rather they practicing, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, the reason I'm bringing all this up kind of you know, convenient is that human society is messy. It's human. We could, as a species, have already passed the event horizon for the end of the species. Because if we stop doing everything we're doing right now, the Supreme Court, uh, the white nationalist party has captured it now and led by a, a good white nationalist supporter, actually, I imagine he probably wish he was white if he could be, uh, Clarence Thomas, who always listens to the, uh, the voice of your master, the voice of your master, Clarence, the voice of your master. Justice Thomas. I don't have any problem saying Justice Thomas because since it's a farce, none of it means anything anyway. The language. In fact, we should probably devolve that framework. But uh, of course, their, 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 their final announced decision, June 30th, the EPA case radically restricting, trying to restrict uh, the, the ability of the EPA and ex by extension, administrative courts and administrative apparatus from constraining private capital, from constraining states so they can you know, continue to pollute and all this kind of stuff. It may be that we've already passed the event horizon. So if you didn't do any more emissions, if you cut out coal right now, if you cut out oil and didn't drill anymore. And uh, one of the things that Malcolm Kenyatta, he was focusing on a woman's right to choose, of course, and choice. But one of the things they're trying to ram through the Pennsylvania legislature, of course, involves energy. You know, they're trying to get rid of everything if they can. And so when we see this, we may have already passed the event horizon. And the next species that comes along or whatever, you're doing an autopsy on the dinosaurs of this moment, which might be Homo sapiens sapiens, maybe the indication of the symptom that created the, uh, that opened the door to the extension of the species was when we left Africa and went up and got caught between the ice ages in Western Eurasia. Maybe we should never have gone up there and tried to relocate. I mean, you just don't know. But 
all that's going to be in retrospect. Those will be autopsies. So even if we have all the indicators, we still might not be able to predict what's going to happen next. The best we can do is gather indicators. And the indicator that you're raising, Professor Hunter, the indicator that you're raising, which, you know, we're trying to figure out whether or not the people, the human beings who live in this settler state we call United States of America, may follow in the footsteps of people other places. Well, let's look at the indicators. You know, um, Shinzo Abe was assassinated, was assassinated in Japan. The former prime minister of Japan who served one time and had to retire because of his health, then did eight more years, then had to leave because of his health. And now it's become an ancestor because his health's not an issue because somebody, and mind you, this ain't no way go. See, gun control laws don't work. Why? Because in Japan, the guy had to literally make a gun to kill him, shot him from the back, right? Please, please explain that to people. Please, Dr. Carr. <laughs> what you mean? What you mean, Professor Hunter? You know, it's it's interesting. Come on, um, let's talk, let's talk, yes. First of all, they've, they've never had a mass shooting. I think the last mass killing was when we dropped two uh, bombs on. How about, the, not we, United oh, States government. Right, America. With the, help, with the help of Nazi scientists. Anyway, we should, right, well, you know. United States of America dropped two nuclear bombs on Japan. It was the last mass killing in, in that country. But they don't have guns. Like, you don't just have them. So there hasn't been any shootings, right? Right. Like, and somebody literally had to make, he, he made several weapons, right? Um, <laughs> please. Please talk about that because I'm, you know, for those of us who, you know, are not global citizens and we don't read the Financial Times, we're not, you know, in community as we are every week with Nubians all over, you know, the globe. There's a disconnect, you know, because of the propaganda that comes that filters in. So, you know, how did you see the assassination? Well, it's interesting you ask because, of course, no, they don't have guns widespread in Japan, but they got shoguns. In other words, the, the the gun is just a form of technology. The way of knowing, it doesn't mean there's not violence. It wasn't an imperial phrase. In fact, one of Abe's, you know, he pushed this bit. He, he's a Japanese nationalist. There are two prime ministers in his family before his generation, like a great uncle, a great grandfather, something. And then you know, his uncle was in the cabinet. I mean, his father was in the Japanese government. In other words, Abe comes from a long tradition. And by the way, parenthetically, if you want to, you know, we say, well, we don't say, you have to say we, why? Because we are the government. Well, you know, among other places, you know, black people have stood against mass killing, even in the nuclear age, particularly in the nuclear age. If you get uh, Vincent Intondi, I-N-T-O-N-D-I, I think is how you spell it, African-Americans Against the Bomb. It's a good book kind of pulls together black people in the 50s and 60s, 40s, 50s and 60s, during the so-called nuclear age, 45, 1945 forward. Coretta Scott King, for example, Martin Luther King as well, both of them. But, you know, a lot of people may not be as aware as we probably should be of Coretta Scott King's huge anti-violence, anti-war, peace movement support. I mean, and there are many other people, you know, W.B. Du Bois, of course, Essie and Paul Robeson, so many others, but get that book, African-Americans Against the Bomb. That was the footnote. Now, back to the point. The Japanese culture, the culture of honor, the culture of tradition, a very old culture. Abe, for example, uh, caped for the reinstitution of the imperial dimension of Japanese culture. Remember, World War II, they had an emperor. 
Now you ain't calling all the shots, but here he told, and you know, I mean, you got to surrender. This is a, this is a, this is a symbolic thing, but it also speaks to a way of knowing that creates a nation, a national concept, nation from the Latin nasi, meaning to be born, meaning to have a con of, meaning what to have a parent, to have bloodlines. Cultural bloodlines are rituals and shrines and totems and icons. And so, you know, Professor Hunter, when a lot of people who first became aware of you became aware of you because you went after that uh, Confederate battle flag, it's not a small thing because that flag is a totem. A totem is a portable shrine. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in Texas, the Lone Star State with its Confederate colors flying high and don't mess with Texas all over the airport. And all this stuff and riding down here and you see these, you know, you can you can smell the white nationalism. It's thick in the air here in Texas. You understand? But those symbols mean something because this is blood land. You bled on this land. And so when we think about a guy like uh, Abe, who on the political and economic side, you know, he's known, among other things, for this Abenomics, right? expanding business. And you know, stimulating growth through generating you know a better political economy to project and to to cultivate Japanese strength. He's known for advocating for self-defense in Japan, not individual self-defense, but reestablishing the military because after 1945, it's written in that reconstructed Japanese constitution they can't have a standing military but obvious like we need it for reinstituting the rituals you know going back we want the, the emperor we want to be you know it's not going you ain't gonna make no decisions but we want so abe wants to project this strength and he's saying you know we got china over here we got korea over here you know and people say well the asians now asian don't tell you nothing asian is like american in some ways what is an asian is it indian is it sri lanka is it chinese and of course china has its own complicated history is it india those of you watching miss marvel on uh, disney channel uh, you know, he's looking at her and she's Pakistani and the whole narrative around Ms. Marvel is built around the partition in the 1940s as Great Britain tried to basically gobble up. Isn't it funny how that little ass island tried to rule everybody and now they meeting up at the Commonwealth meeting to talk about how they going to, you know, move forward and Commonwealth is just an excuse to meet. And here come uh, Philip, uh, not Philip, I said Philip, Charles and his wife and here, you know, it's, it's very nice, and they're looking at like, yeah, okay, whatever. Y'all ain't got y'all ain't got no muscle no more. Hey, y'all need some help? I was laughing, prof, because um, on social media I saw some of the continental Africans uh, tweeting out. Uh, looks like the tribal leader Boris Johnson uh, has been deposed, and Great Britain looks like it may devolve into violence. Uh, the West African delegation stands prepared to send in peacemakers, and then uh, my sister Jamima Pierre out there on the West Coast, uh, Professor Pierre, who is Haitian, she tweeted, the Haitian delegation will join you in this peacekeeping force. And then other people, all these people from the diaspora, it's like, yeah, do we need to step in? Those little islands over there look like they're about to start another fight again. They've deposed their tribal leader. But anyway, the you see the Abe assassination, well, what's that indicating? That's indicating that even in a country where it's hard to get a gun, in the words of Michael Corleone, you know, everybody can, you know, history has taught us that anybody, everybody can be killed. And the fact that the Western press is projecting shock and concern, yeah, everybody can be killed. You know, what's the difference between what happened in Japan and what happened in Akron? Well, in the case of Abe, it was only one, it was only two shots, boom, boom. In Akron, it was 90. Mm -hmm. Same functions, lungs, heart, walking around, one moment you're alive, one moment you're dead. 
And guess what? Ali's life ain't worth no more, no less than the brother got killed in Akron. So guess what? This violence, as Malcolm X said, you know, chickens come home to roost. When you've rooted it in violence, then you have to understand that that violence is going to just continue to reverberate until you end violence. And ending violence violently to bring in Martin King and Howard Thurman and so many others, ending violence violently may only perpetuate the violence. And so when we think about that in the context of what we want, again, this anchoring question in our, the way we've been thinking about it here, this Africana studies framework, and I'm going to say more about that in a minute because, you know, it's an interesting week that I've been going through since we were last together. Very encouraging in so many ways, reminders in, in Kenny's work, those six conceptual categories social structure, governance structure, ways of knowing, science and technology, movement and memory, and cultural meaning. These six categories, which in each category contain all the complicated, all the contradictions, all the consensus building, all the interpretive framework. In other words, a conceptual category framework that will allow us to engage in diagnosis. And even after having engaged in full diagnosis, as full as we can, in order to act, we still might not be able to see where we are completely going. That seventh kind of overarching question that you, Professor Hunter, say, you know, this is the question that guides the inquiry and also completes the seven. This is beautiful, beautifully done. Of course, we get from our sister, Sonia Sanchez, yeah, but how do it free us? And so we ask, how do it free us? Assassinating Abe is not going to free anybody. Um, standing in the well of the Pennsylvania legislature is not, and, and arguing against these white nationalists that are trying to exert their fear, their hatred, fear, and desire-based uh, will over other people, particularly the bodies of other people, particularly the bodies of women, with uh, a deluded jurist like Clarence Thomas leading the charge to extend that delusion beyond female to male. Everything from contraception to the capacity to, to, to marry who you want. All of that stuff we have to ask. When we ask how do it free us, this is where I'm going. We have to ask ourselves who is us and what do us want? Because if you ask the question of how do it free us, to a white nationalist, they want the capacity to impose their will on other people. When you ask how do it free us to a Malcolm Kenyatta, he's saying, I want my people to be able to live in the world without fear, with the comfort of being alive and being fed and housed and clothed, the ability to dream and just have their desires made manifest through the best of their capacity and not have to worry. And I want that for everybody. But since we have been harmed, we want that for ourselves and for everyone else. And then when we look at it in the United States, comparing that United States to these other places where things are going on, this is what distinguishes the United States. Unlike India, which has a whole uh, fascist-minded oppressive-minded governance structure. I mean, you have to look at Modi in India and understand that at the heart of that is intolerance. And at the heart of that intolerance, in, in some ways, one of the indicators, uh, not the indicators, one of the reasons for that intolerance, of course, is Western colonialism, 
There's no India and Pakistan. There's Great Britain, that little ass island punching above its weight with its violent mind, who tries to colonize that whole region of the world. And then as it withdraws, partitions, say the Muslims live over here, the Hindus live over here, and hatred drives a lot of rhetoric in India. Listen to any uh, uh, well-read or at least uh, well-experienced and aware person of Indian descent who will tell you about the politics in India right now, or other people, people other than that who are aware, and you'll see that hatred is there. But the thing that distinguishes the United States from a Japan, which of course is a small place geographically, but which Abe, again, being a kind of hyper Western, hanging out with G7 summit attending, caping for the United States guy, whether it be Great Britain with Boris Johnson, a whole ass clown, who, unlike Donald Trump, did get education and does have a few brains in his head, and who, perhaps like Andrew DeSantis, was playing a role, but overplayed his hand, and now in a country that itself would stitch together out of violence, as the Irish, whether it be Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Republic, or Northern Ireland, whether it be Wales, whether it be Scotland, you know, the United Kingdom, you know, ask Oz about that, because we are participant observers over there watching that, whether it be um, in anywhere else in the world. Again, the idea that, and by the way, um, a brother who I actually saw the last time uh, when uh, Ajwa, you and Ajwa had him uh, there in the studio, Greg Meeks, uh, who apparently is capable for some legislation to try to make the Africa, the countries in Africa pick a side in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And, you know, with all due respect, Congressman Meeks, uh, you are of African descent and you should know better because guess what? They laughing at you, brother. You you carry no weight with because the United States ain't got that kind of muscle to force those Africans to pick a side because most of the world is sitting out Russia and Ukraine except as it impacts their geopolitical interests. So as Ukraine is fighting Russia and maybe trying to regain one of the islands in the Black Sea where they can maybe get some of this grain out for export well, then you may see some movement in terms of supporting Ukraine because that is causing starvation, that is causing food shortages, supply chain, and other places because Ukraine is a, is a breadbasket. And so you see that. But, you know, what is happening is that the difference between the United States and some of these other countries is that while these countries, these other countries are not culturally homogenous completely, the United States is the least culturally homogenous. In fact, it's not culturally homogenous. In fact, the United States is culturally heterogeneous. That's why I say it's not a nation. And groups in the United States have been have been pitted against each other in pursuit of the colonial project called the United States. So if you ask the white nationalists who started the United States, the colonists who started the United States, how do it free us? They would say it free us by us taking everything from everybody, from the indigenous people. So the indigenous people were here. They didn't have the concept that we have of just taking land and saying, we own this land this way. So we're going to take this from them as long as we can. Well, when you ask the indigenous people who get pulled into that to this day, how do it free us? Their response is going to take the shape of whatever pragmatically they have uh, to consider to ensure their own safety, their own ability to live. The first thing is I got to be able to live. It's so funny. I was reading this uh, the other day and I just stuck it in, in my bag. It's called First Americans, U.S. Patriotism in Indian Country After World War I. 
uh, Thomas Grillo. And what he's talking about is these, uh, in fact, what does he say? Let me, let me, let me, how many, how many? I was kind of astonished at the number. I don't think I knew this. Uh, there were, oh, uh, the number 200, was it 200,000? No, I'm sorry. 12,000, 12,000 Native American soldiers served in the U.S. Army in World War I. They came back to the United States after World War I. I'll just read from the back of the book. They returned home to their reservations with newfound patriotism, leveraging their veteran cachet for political power and claiming all the benefits of citizenship, even supporting the termination policy that ended the United States government's recognition of tribal sovereignty. The reason that this book caught my eye was that you might say, well, why would Native Americans want to give up tribal sovereignty? Well, the question is, how do it free us? If your move is to, after you have shed blood and some of y'all lost y'all lives in this fight against fascism, as the Native American veteran told me at the American Indian Museum many years ago, and I was down there for Thanksgiving, where I happened to be in D.C., and I said, let me go down here, because I like going to the Native American Museum on, on Thanksgiving if I'm in town. And the cat was like, yeah, the reason I wear this uniform is because they attacked my homeland and it's my land. So if they're going to give me a gun to fight somebody to keep them out of my property, he said, I'll deal with the cat that's over here to, you know, as, as Muhammad Ali said, you my opposer. But if somebody else is coming and they just want to switch themselves out for this person and they, this other person's going to give me a gun, then yeah, I'm going to use it against these other people who are trying to invade first. And then after we settle that, we'll go back to the beef we had here. Well, these World War I veterans go over and fight the Germans and then come back. And it's like, okay, will patriotism free us? It's a complicated question. So Malcolm Kenyatta said, well, being in the United States help free us. It's a complicated question. And so when Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court, he said, will it free us? Notice I didn't say, will it free me? Because people think, well, Clarence Thomas is just for himself. No. That's why Corey Robbins' book is very interesting, The, the Enigma of Clarence Thomas, law professor uh, in the D.C. area, writing about and reading Clarence Thomas's opinions. You know, Clarence Thomas, uh, particularly when he was much younger, undergrad, grad school, not law school, really, yeah, Holy Cross, Yale, you know, talks about being enamored with Malcolm X, enamored with self-determination, enamored with this. So you see him supporting the Second Amendment. At least at that stage, he's not saying that black people shouldn't get the gun. He's saying that's one reason I support the Second Amendment. Black people, where your guns at? Did Malcolm say the ballot or the bullet? You need the strap. So in Clarence Thomas's warp mind, warp RV driving around, wife uh, insurrection supporting, uh, sitting up praying with these uh, white nationalists uh, who have their ways of knowing and having these dinners at the steakhouses with him, Scalia and uh, Sam Alito, a true racist. Uh, they, you know. He thinks maybe he thinks freeing us mean playing by their rules and using those rules against them. I mean, you, 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 you know, when you say us, it's going to depend on the context. I'm not, I'm not defending Clarence Thomas at all. I'm saying that the us, you have to be, have to be clear on who that us is and what our objectives are. And so even here, you know, I'm here in town for the 43rd uh, National Conference of the National Black United Front. This is an organization that was formed in the late 70s it began really to, to to come into kind of focus and then by 1980 emerges as a coalition of people who had already been working herbert dortry out of new york conrad worrell and judon boney out of um chicago and houston respectively um my brother kofi taharka who is now the chair 
who, you know, we, we came up together. We've known each other now for over 30 years uh, under, among others, Conrad Rural, who is now, of course, an ancestor out of Chicago. Uh, the crew, and in fact, when I was over there yesterday at the, at the NBuff headquarters here in, in Houston, you know, the contingent from Kansas City was already here, Kansas City, uh, KC Buff, as they call themselves. Uh, very powerful, very powerful group. Uh, my man, Salim Adolfo in D.C., who also goes back, coming out of uh, Baba Jitu Weusi and that whole crew out of uh, uh, the East. Uh, E.I. Ferguson, uh, the, the wife of Herman Ferguson, political prisoner out of New York, of course. And so th these groups come together. Uh, the great Detroiter, uh, the, the Henry brothers, uh, Milton Henry and, and Donald Henry, of course, Gaidi Obadeli and Amari Obadeli, Amari uh, Abu Bakri Obadeli, the provisional president of the Republic of New Africa, who end up in Mississippi. The, the National Black United Front is a coalition of people of African descent who are asking that question, how do it free us? And just like everybody else I've mentioned, but in asking that question, the answers are going to emerge from debate from grounding and from what we often saying over and over again, which is why that fifth of the six categories and conception categories is so important, movement and memory. How do we gain the momentum of memory? How do we understand ourselves and educate ourselves? And as, I, as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking about it, you know, we ask what are our objectives? A great deal of understanding who are, what our objectives are has to come from study, has to come from education has to come from that ability to sit back and say to ourselves, what did we want before? What did we want now? And how has what we wanted before changed over the years, over the decades, over the centuries for African people, over the millennia? Because unlike Abe in Japan, we do not have an unbroken continuity or President Xi in China, we didn't have an unbroken continuity of millennia, as our brother Howard French uh, writes, and he's he's currently traveling through West Africa, keeping us all appraised on social media. You know, like clearly it's very interesting watching him. But of course, we Howard French came to most immediate prominence writing about China. He's written two ma major books. Uh, well, more than that, but. These two books, uh, Africa, China, Second Continent, which you know, is something we probably should invite him back and have that conversation. We said we were going to do that. So we do that and we'll be able to do that. And of course, Everything Under the Heavens, which is his book on China and how China views itself. This is a civilizational country. It's a civilization and a country. The United States is not that. The United States is a settler colony with a bunch of different set of memories in it, constantly trying to impose some order on all those memories. So you give out some totems last week. Some medals around your neck for Simone Biles, for Alan Simpson, for Fred Gray, for Denzel Washington, who, you know, take it for a master a master actor. And, you know, he says he has no symptoms. He said he contracted COVID, you know. And so, you know, get well, brothers, certainly heal up. And certainly if you have no symptoms, that's a blessing. But he couldn't attend the ceremony. I'm thinking to myself, man, it takes a master actor to steal a whole scene. So, of course, if they have a ceremony just for him at the White House. Imagine that. Now, you, 17 other people, no, no, no I'm going to be by myself. But anyway, the point is that those medals around the neck, those are totems. You understand? Those are totems that represent shrines. They were given away in an American shrine called the White House. 
uh, by the way, the National Black United Front headquarters here in Houston, they call that the Black House. It is one of several institutions in Houston I'm going to talk about in about two minutes that, again, just sent my heart singing yesterday as we're riding around. You know, Cindy's taking me bad places and we're, you know, she's stopping wherever. And in one place in particular, I'm going to spend some time on in a second because they are physical places. And these physical places are where pe our people are in those physical places planning and, and executing and asking, how do it free us? Well, when Joe Biden is hanging medals around necks and the president before him, uh, Donald John Trump, hanging medals around the necks of uh, Jim Jordan, G-Y-M Jordan, and Rush Limbaugh, well, it doesn't cheapen that medal for me that the same medal that Fred Gray got, the same medal that Diane Nash got, the same medal that an Alabama State Hornet and a Fisk Bulldog got, an open white nationalist who is now probably having to negotiate the temperature in a place that it has no temperature thermometer to lessen the heat, Rush Limbaugh got. It doesn't bother me because those medals don't mean much to me anyway, but as totems, they are an attempt of a country to create a common set of memories. But the problem with trying to create a common set of memories is either you tell it all or in not telling it all and trying to make decisions like they are in Ohio, so with two sides of the or however they want to narrate this in terms of the Jewish Holocaust, or silencing people in terms of critical race theory. Of course, I'm here. In fact, when I got off the plane, I uh, picked up a copy of the Chronicle and here, uh, shovel mouth bastard Greg Abbott take migrants to the border. Some conservatives push governor to direct state police to go further and expel them. I mean, hey, man, good luck, good luck. Now, of course, the irony, of course, being this is yesterday's Houston Chronicle and the shovel mouth white nationalists, Greg Abbott, take migrants to border. And on the same paper, there goes Simone Biles getting her medal from Joe Biden. Guess what? There is no we. There's no we. I know you want it to be a we, some of y'all. But I don't like believing in, you know, some things, you know, you just don't believe in make-believe, you know? But when we think about the fact that um, education and study is what allows us the momentum of memory to answer the question who, uh, or ask the question, how do it free us? Because it allows us to create a us through reconstructing our memory. We don't have the unbroken memory of a China or a Japan or Korea. We don't have the unbroken memory of an England or a Spain or a, or a Portugal, which are much shorter, of course, in some ways, than those first three I mentioned. We don't even have the potential for acquiring an unbroken memory through connecting cultural practice to deeper memory, if we can get past the colonial mindset of people on the African continent. We don't have the unbroken memory of the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere who have continued to fight their way into self through self-defense into continuing their humanity even when it might seem counterintuitive like veterans who are native americans saying well we're citizens too and we'll give up the sovereignty why because maybe that'll protect us to sustain the memory the momentum of memory we don't have that in the african diaspora in the same way because we were taken and as we were taken the struggle for our institutions should be and I'll say should be, should be rooted in, a, in, in recreating memory, which in many ways means creating memory because we're all commingled now, we're all mixed in. But that don't mean linking your memory to the memory of the social structure. That's how you get a 1619 project. No matter how much you try to 
throw a little Africa in there or a lot of Africa in there. If you're going to market with them numbers, what you've done is commingled it in a way, as Elijah Muhammad say, it's like putting ink in water, in a glass of water. Now you can't drink it and you can't write with it. It's just ink and water. So, but now the, the challenge we have is it's all commingled. So how do we, how do it free us becomes a question to tie in Amari Obadelli. So funny, I brought this with me because I'm going to talk about this tonight. Tonight uh, from 710, we're going to be at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, another black institution, Detroit, Atlanta, Houston, buildings owned, operated by black people. Uh, Baba Jaramogi, who, of course, was the first leader of the Shrine of the Black Madonna. Some people, Albert Clay, of course, was his European name. His, his daughter, Pearl, of course, the writer. Many people know Pearl Clay. But the, the Shrine of the Black Madonna, you know, we'll be there tonight. And if you're in the Houston area, come on through. A lot of folks who are in Nubia saying they're coming through. You know, there's also a virtual. I have to uh, put the link in Nubia so you all can. And later on, if y'all watching on YouTube, we can drop that link as well uh, in, the, in the comments so people can, if you want to tune in. But... One of the things I'm going to talk about tonight is uh, Baba Amari Obadelli, who I met for the first time at a National Black United Front National Conference. We were in Detroit. This would have been the early 90s. I want to say it was before Queen Mother Moore made transition. But he is, he has a piece in this little, this is a journal called Southern Exposure. This is actually a special issue of this journal. This is from 1971, I want to say. No, 75. There was a group called the Institute for Southern Stories, the Institute for Southern Studies, story for another day. But I I treasure this particular uh, issue because it's a special issue on Southern Black utterances today. And I'm in the deep South now, deep U.S. South, still North to everybody in Central America, the Caribbean and Latin America. But... um, this is a special issue that was edited by a sister, of course, we read and talked about in Office Hours, which I think we should probably do some more reading of her. And then, of course, it's Tony K. Tony K. Bombard. Uh, at the time she edited this, uh, this was, of course, she was in Atlanta. This was edited and produced in Atlanta. That's what the Institute was. And there is a piece in here by Imari Obadelli. It's called Our Brothers Were in Custody. Again, this is before he published the book, Free the Land. Because remember, you see that there? Our brothers were in custody. An excerpt from Free the Land by Amari Abubakari Obadeli, the first president of provisional government of New, uh, the Republic of New Africa at Detroit. Uh, this is before he wrote his dissertation, um, before he joined the faculty at Prairie View, right up the road here. Shout out to the Prairie View Panthers. Uh, Prairie View a and uh, before he got his PhD in the 80s, 1984, 1985, where he, we talked about this when we talked about reparations, his, his dissertation, which eventually turned into a book, America, the Nation State, on how state formation uh, happens in world history and how people of African descent, who he would call new Africans in the United States, will have to come up with our own concept of statehood, our own concept of self-determination. How do it free us? Which is why they went to Mississippi. And this is before that book came out, Free the Land. And uh, in fact, well, this is a story of another day. Here he is. Here's uh, Baba Amari as a younger man there on the microphone, the bottom picture at the top on the microphone here. Of course, reminds me of Chokwe Lumumba and all the cats and Chokwe Lumumba, you know, the mayor of Jackson, uh, Chokwe Antar Lumumba is his, his father. That's how they ended up in Mississippi. Again, 
protecting, defending the Republic of New Africa. But where am I going with this? He writes in Free to Land. Because what he says is you never, in fact, let me just read this. He says, when our ancestors were freed from slavery under American law, they were never asked what they wanted to do, whether to become a U.S. citizens, go back to Africa, go to another country, or set up an independent nation of our own on land in the Deep South, which over generations had become our traditional home. We have never been asked. Thus, the plebiscite, in other words, have a vote, take a poll. The plebiscite is an appropriate remedy for America's failure to ask our consent in the past. And this argument draws around us not only the protections of international law, not only the protections of the First Amendment, freedom of speech and the right to petition, the protection of the Emancipation Proclamation, a legally important but neglected document, and the 13th Amendment. That being said, however, we know that legal correctness has never been sufficient to protect Black people in America at any time. We knew that illegal arrest and prosecution and fraudulent imprisonment are not just acts involving the law, they are political acts. I'm going somewhere with this. Murder, whether by lawmen or civilians, when used to destroy a cadre or assassinate leaders, is not simply an act of law, but a political act. And political acts are often always, when they involve murder, irreversible in their results. I was talking to somebody the other day, not the other day, yesterday. Abe is dead. Somebody texted me and said, is Abe Ferdinand? Because remember now, they tried to say World War I. That same World War I, these Native Americans fought in and a whole lot of other people too. The Battle of Henry Johnson, Abe in New York. Uh, the, 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 the great fighters, the Harlem Hell Fighters. 369th, the old day of Illinois, the 370th, of course. Uh, black people drawn into the war, the conflict here in Houston, 1917. In fact, one of the things, I'm going to talk about this place in a second, one of these black institutions I went to yesterday, who's part of the coalition of the National Black United Front. And they, and when you come in this building, they got two big buildings here in Houston. I love when you see black people with black buildings. You come in this building, they got pictures of black children everywhere, red, black, and green everywhere. They got a whole vegan cafeteria and they serve elders so you walk in all the elders in there eating their meals they got a whole library they got an embongi room where they convene the elders twice a month and they have an elders council chairs sitting up in a circle they got a park next door that the city of houston paid for because you know houston is about three million people you got another five million in the area and and, and it's majority non-white uh, a lot of Latino people, a lot of Spanish-speaking people, and a lot of people of African descent. There are more Black people in Texas than any other state in the United States of America. And the park that is next, literally outside, you walk out one of the buildings, you come over here, the park, Baba was taking me, and, and of course, shout out to Deloitte Parker Jr., who is the leader and has been for 53 years of this institution. This institution is called Self-Help for African people through education. Self-help for African people through education. Self-help for African people through education. It's acronym SHAPE. Shout out to SHAPE with their two locations, one nearer to Emancipation Park, Jack Yates and them. And I went by Jack Yates High School, you know, Ronzo High School, Felicia Rashad, Debbie, um, Felicia Allen, Debbie Allen, now Felicia Rashad, of course, Debbie Allen. Um, Jack Yates, of course, and, and the other three ministers that bought that land. Yates come from North Carolina. Reverend Yates went by the cemetery where he was buried so and took me by there. You know, these are black institutions and shape going in that building. When you first come in, this the second building that they have. 
community center. In fact, uh, the, the, the official nickname for shape here in the third ward of Houston, uh, third ward, you know, that's the, it's all black, but they, it, oh, I'm sorry. I, let me, let me, let me pause here. The park that the city of Houston paid for. And as, and as Baba Park was saying, we standing there and he said what I always say. And I said, man, I'm glad to hear you say that Baba, because I know that's these, this is the, this is the, this is the sentiment that I received from elders that we all did. He said, they're not giving us anything. People say they don't take grants except that they can control. Meaning what? He said, we go to the government and say, this is what we're going to do with the money. And they give us the money. We do it. He said, you tell people what you're going to do. And if they say we can't do it, then okay, then you keep fighting. Why? Because he said, that's our money. We pay taxes. Meaning what? That's our money. So don't act like they gave you anything and you tell them what you're going to do with it. So he, he, we stand in there. He, he said, uh, he said, what do you think the name of this park is? And I'm thinking, he says, not an ancestor. And they got all the ancestors on the walls, too, in there. I mean, they got murals. They have these young people. They got a summer program where they go through the South on buses. They take buses of children to Louisiana. They go to Mecca Evans House in Mississippi, another place. They go to Alabama. They go, they make, they walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I saw, I mean, it's just incredible. He said, it's not an ancestor, though. I said, okay. He said, so what would be a word that would indicate all of us, everybody. Of course, he said everybody, and I can't get black thought. Means everybody, every GD body. You know what I'm saying everybody, everybody. See, it's a little word, a little three-letter word. I said, our? He said, yeah, the name of this park is Our Park. <laughs> it's our park. It, shape is known in Houston. They call the Shape Centers the United Nations of the Hood. <laughs> so, so when you walk in there, uh, in fact, he was conducting business. He I mean, was an elder, you know, I think he just turned 73, 74. A uh, lot of great elders all over the country. Here in Houston, no different. Baba Sunshine, who made transition. My mama and I'm sitting in her room right now. That's her on my shoulders. Uh, I used to go sit. My sister and brother and niece and nephew would take her over to Baba Sunshine. His, his ritual of initiation into eternity is today. He just made transition. He's the one who converted my sister to vegan. So, I mean, and then another elder in the community, right? So, our, our park, in other words, in fact, his rituals today, and I know Baba Parker is speaking at the ritual this morning here in Houston, and then uh, no, we'll see him later because in Buff, we're going over to uh, the shape, one of the shape centers, the one I was at yesterday. But uh, so when you walk in the shape center, you look to the left, and they got racks, and on the racks are the black newspapers. Of course, the final call. You got to have the final call now. This is uh fmnews.com. They got a newspaper here in the Houston area. I love this issue, The Truth About Memorial Park. World War I, why these Native Americans fighting and Black people apart. Not, a, a, Memorial Park is the site of, was the site of, and here's the article, The Truth About Memorial Park. If you know the history of African people, April 6, April 6 1970, the United States entered the conflict unprepared. Memorial Park was once home to Camp Logan, 3,002 acres with an attractive 9,560 9, acres and was equipped to house an estimate of 40,000 troops. You remember now, we talked about this. Remember, Professor Hunter, months ago, we were talking about what happened in Houston and what happened when they court-martialed those brothers April, August 23rd, 1917, the so-called Houston riot occurred, which is known mm -hmm. as the Camp Logan Mutiny, which impacted 156 soldiers, historically known as Buffalo Soldiers of the All-Black 3rd Battalion, 24th Infantry, uh, according to Prairie View scholars, among others, when they did the, they did the, the movie on that, right? Well, these are some of the brothers. The truth about Memorial Park. 
And so there's a huge, of course, Nigerian population here in Texas, particularly in Houston. And this is the Guardian News, which is a Pan-African newspaper. They're talking about politics in uh, Nigeria. In fact, this is uh, they're talking about the uh, presidential elections, forthcoming presidential elections in Nigeria. And then, of course, below the fold, Juneteenth and the Supreme Court decisions, immigrants can be detained forever. And then, of course, I love how the African newspapers go. They just go real sensationalistic. OMG! <laughs> Supreme <laughs> Court just ruled that thousands of immigrants can be detained indefinitely. This child here, this Florida Nigerian American teen, was accepted into all eight Ivy League schools and seven other universities. I don't know where she's going to go. Maybe she go to FAM. But anyway, uh, another issue with Freddie Douglass, freedom for America, but not for blacks. And, of course, the old school, the, the Defender, the Houston Defender. I love this cover uh, overturning Roe versus Wade, black women hit hard by SCOTUS Rudin. Abortion rights and human rights. And then a in the fold layout on how this is going to affect black women. Of course, overturning Roe versus Wade, black women hit hardest. And so I'm bringing all that up because in talking with uh, Baba Parker yesterday, who is from Port Arthur, Texas, by the way, Jack Johnson, and a Galveston, Port Arthur, talk about Juneteenth who has been doing this work for over five decades. You walk out the front of the uh, of the shape building to the right is our park, which your butt's on the corner there. And across the street is a church building. And I said, Baba, this church building, I saw these African flags up. And he says, that's the original shape building. I said, really? He said, yeah, that, that, that the corner there, because it looked like a converted house. He said, that was my bedroom. I lived there. I said, what? He said, now, Professor Hunter, let me pause here. Because right now, as is always the case, week after week after week after week after week, there are people from all over the world here. I want you to know if you're watching this, that there's so many people here and everywhere that, that I've been since we started this who are really part of this conversation. And the beautiful thing about it, when you say bring your brick, bring yourself, bring what you've done, bring what you do, bring your memory, bring your momentum of memory. How do it free us? It free us by allowing us to share in each other's memories. And through that, we build the we so that when we ask how do it free us, we can go into what Amari Obadelli writes about and what I read from, but I did not read this. He talks about, because his, his, his brother was a lawyer. Gaidi was a lawyer. And what Baba Amari writes about in here is the inside strategy and the outside strategy. And he says, you can't, in fact, watch this. He says, let me see. The point is that a determined political act, however wrong or illegal, can only be arrested by an equally determined and courageous judiciary and an equally determined and courageous ex executive. We knew that throughout the 350 years of Black history in America, we have rarely had such combinations to work for Black people. We knew it. The whites in Mississippi knew it. And so when they were not minded, the whites in Mississippi moved with swift and ugly political acts, fraudulent imprisonments, hmm. unlawful assaults, hmm. arson, hmm. murder. Hmm. And then they stood the weight. Sometimes the weight was heavy, as when they killed 14-year-old Emmett Lewis Till and blacks and whites in America cried out in revulsion. They had to bring Emmett's killers to trial. But they stood the weight because they knew there was not a judiciary in America and not an executive, though the United States president was a white hero named Dwight David Eisenhower, determined enough or courageous enough to try to reverse the deadening results, increase black terror of their base political act. So they let the killers go scot-free. I don't know if you saw, but mm -hmm. apparently in Raleigh, 
Did you see that uh, story? Yeah, tell, tell us. Yes, it's about oh. about about the woman. Yes, you, you tell us because you heard the same thing I did. You may have better intel than I have because again, I've been tracking the crowd. There, they found, they discovered uh, a warrant for her arrest. The woman that claimed that Emmett Till, you know, verbally assaulted her, and uh, Carolyn Bryant is still living. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of some people went to the the nursing home that she's in, which I don't necessarily condone. I don't, I don't, I don't condone that behavior at all. But I do think that she should be arrested and held accountable, like the Nazi guard that was just convicted, uh, who's a hundred plus years old. There's never, what is it, justice delayed, is justice denied. She did that. She caused the death of that 15-year-old uh, young man, and she should be held to account. She's still alive. She should go to, you know, she should be arrested and, and held to account. Hey, I agree. And here, and here, here's where, and again, you frame this conversation we're having. Because we ask, not only how do it free us, which is the question we always have to ask, but also when you raise the need to understand and to act in accordance with the understanding of what's going on in the world and what's going on here domestically, it's difficult. Man puts together a gun and kills the former prime minister of Japan. Okay. Remember World War I, the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand, they try to tell that romantic story and that's what led to World War I. Okay. All right. So you never know what's going to be the wick. I don't condone going to a nursing home looking for Carolyn Dunn. I do not condone it. I do not condemn going to a nursing home and looking for Carolyn Dunham. I do not condemn it. I bear witness to the fact that these are the unintended circumstances when, whether in Japan, they don't have violence. No, they don't have guns. They have a history of violence and honor. <laughs> they have a violence. In the United States, well, you can't go to a nursing home. Okay, they, she getting off light. She was in that damn car with her husband and brother-in-law. When they brought that boy out there and said, he the one? Yeah. And if you say she not, bring her ass to a court of law and make her get on the stand and lie. Like Clarence Thomas lied at his hearings. Joe Biden chaired uh, the Judiciary Committee and gave a damn medal to your friend posthumously who was caping for how do we free us? We need a Negro on the Supreme Court that's going to run a Boston on y'all. Alan Simpson. Lied, Beer Kavanaugh. Lied, Amy Comey, Handmade Barrett. Lied, McConnell Gorsuch. Lied, Clarence Thomas. So, but let Carolyn Dunham, old behind, get on the stand and lie again. Why? Right, you was in that car, Carolyn. Who's me in the car? Yeah. And if it takes some people knocking on the door to nursing home and y'all got to call the damn police, this is, we didn't come out here because we wanted to. We came out here because the circumstances of decades, which is what Bob Amari is talking about. He said, the law in the United States after Reconstruction, during and after Reconstruction, said you can't do what you're doing to black people in Mississippi. But what he said is, we don't care. A determined political act, however wrong or illegal, can only be arrested by an equally determined and courageous judiciary and an equally determined and courageous executive. So, Joe, if you're not determined, then guess what? The unintended consequences are Women, and remember Professor Hunter, like you said, you called when you last week, and I saw you clipped it out and, and put it out there on YouTube. You know, when you made this call years ago of where this was going, it looks prophetic. It looks like, as we finish uh, Octavia Butler on Monday night, Parable of the Talents, it looked like she's being prophetic. But let's be clear. She anticipated Donald Trump. Do you not remember that Donald Trump took his slogan, Make America Great Again, from Ronald Reagan, who was alive when Octavia Butler was writing the parables? In other words, it only looks like prophecy if you don't know history. 
Octavia Butler, as we saw really in the Lel George's book and understanding from her own testimony and listening to you and Tanana Redu and you know, listening to y'all talk, we understand that Octavia Butler spent her life in the archive. She wrote an archive and she spent her life in the archive. It only looks like prophecy if you don't have a momentum of memory. She added her own creative genius, but she added it to the momentum of memory. So what Mario Bedelli is writing here in 1975 in, uh, in, in his witness, because what he's writing about is how he was in New York raising money and had to go back to Mississippi. And of course, they put Mario Bedelli in prison. He eventually gets out. A lot of people still in prison didn't get out. In Enba, for example, in, in the headquarters here in Houston, behind they got a beautiful building that they bought in the middle of a black community near the campus of Texas Southern University. Shout out to Texas Southern, all the people, the Ocean of Soul Band, Texas Southern across the street from Jack Yates High School, the new Jack Yates built or where the old Jack Yates was. Uh, Freedom's Village is around the corner. And here you have Jack Yates High School, of course, which is named for the Reverend Jack Yates, who, along with those three other ministers, bought that land coming out of enslavement after the Civil War called Emancipation Park, which was the first stop Cindy took me to. We stopped there. Let me look at Reverend Jack Yates. And then we went by the cemetery. But the point I'm trying to make at this moment is that Amari Obadelli, in the back of the um, the Embuff headquarters, they've got a garden, a garden named for political prisoners. Because a lot of people did not get out of jail. A lot of people still in jail, still in prison. These are political prisoners in prison because of their politics. And so what Baba Mari is saying here is that you can't just rely on the law. But at the same time, this is where I'm going, because he talks about as they were shot in Jackson, Mississippi, at Jackson State. He talks about the killing of Mega Evers, uh, the assassination, how people got away with it, how that just mirrors what they did during Reconstruction. But he said, we got to have an inside strategy and an outside strategy. Remember, his brother was a lawyer and Amari Obadelli himself with legal training. Again, read his book, America, the Nation State. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing, except a shrinking from the political implications of the issue of reparations. There's nothing new in the reparations debate today. Now, there may be a form of, to quote another young brother who I hope talked to at some point, oh, I thought I brought his book here. He calls it elite capitalism. Looking for books and still, I mean, no, it's crazy. I'll never, I'll never get on nothing moving. It's crazy that you're not in your your spot, but you still got books. Well, because it's all it's all a puzzle to be solved. I mean, gee, I don't never put nothing in my bag that can't be connected. In fact, I got this in the airport because I don't subscribe to Harper's. But this is the latest issue of Harper's. I picked it up in Houston called "The American Century Is Over" by Daniel Bessner. This is a cat who I think I would love to hear the two y'all talk. He wrote an essay, it's on page 24. And I started reading it in the airport and uh, as I'm walking and they was like, where are you? He said, oh my God, let me get out of here. And he starts in World War II with Hitler. Empire burlesque, what comes after the American century? American century is over. In fact, the American century wasn't even hundred years. When you read uh, Nikhil Singh's book, Black as a Country, and he gets that from Amiri Baraka in America, Black as a Country. Again, it's not a nation. Um, one of the things you talk about, where he really talks about is the American century is basically 1945 to the first decade of the 20th century, the 21st century. Because, you know, by then, of course, America's power is already waning. And now, you know, here's the thing. They tell you, it's not even a secret. Now, I mean, you had to get off TikTok. Hilarious, I'm on the plane, leaving Thurgood Marshall, Baltimore, Washington airport, flying in here. And I'm on the plane with a bunch of young people, maskless young people with kind of neon color shirts, 
who I think was some kind of Christian group. I didn't ask because, you know, I got my mask on. And I'm just sitting there and watching and listening, which is always fascinating because you're dealing with human beings. You know, a lot of this racial ideology is cosplay. But if you invest too deeply in it, then I got to fight you, too. And it's sad because these are young people. And, I, you know, I'm on the plane writing. I'm reading and writing the whole time. And so as we're getting off, we're deplaning one of the young uh, ladies, uh, white girl, teenagers, I think these were teenagers. She said to me, she said, are you a college professor? And I said, yes. Why would you say that? She said, because you, you sat there and read and wrote the whole flight. And I thought to myself, yeah, I am. I started laughing and kept going. I mean, maybe she's a newbie. But anyway, the point is that, <laughs> as I mean, it's funny because you see somebody reading and writing a thing that many of us did. My daddy sat on porch in Nashville and read and wrote many days when he was, you know, when he was off or he was, you know, I'm thinking, but you associate that. And she said, college professor. First time I thought she was the feds. Anyway, as they were talking, <laughs> two of the adults, chaperones, from what I could gather listening, one said to the other, yeah, these kids got that all that chatty spyware on their phones. You can't take it away from them. And the other one said, yeah, I guess you can't. And then one of the children overhearing this said, I don't care. They can have everything I have. They were talking about TikTok. <laughs> so I, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking, you see, all these borders, the flags, the state borders, all this stuff is imaginary. It only has the enforcement of the rule of law. And what Bob Amari talks about here is he said, while we are organizing all of it is political acts, everything, the law itself, if you can't enforce the law, it don't matter whether the law is on the books or not. And he says, you know, my brother is a lawyer. When you, wrote, when you read America, the nation state, he is making a legal case for self-determination. One that is much more aligned with American history and constitutional law than this paint-by-numbers BS that Sam Alito, a true racist, and, his, and, and, and Clarence Thomas, who is the leader of the court now, who loves his master. It, what Amari Obadelli writes is, is, is more sound in terms of being consistent with the letter of the so-called aspirational project called America, then what Thomas and Alito are them writing right now, making shit up, leaving stuff out. As, as Breyer said, now retired and probably somewhere crying in his beer, uh, said in his dissent when he was in the New York case where he's, he's telling Amy Coney Barrett, y'all just making up history. Y'all talking about going back to the historical record and then you go back and pick out what you want. Bring it all forward. But what I'm about to raise is that in this process, what Amario Bedelli is saying is you got an inside and an outside process, and the two should not be commingled. You got to coordinate, hence a united front, national black united front. We do not all agree, but we have to have a united front. Now, what does that mean? State Senator Philadelphian Malcolm, what are we named for? Go look it up. Kenyatta. Kenyatta. Is that a South Philly name? Is it? No. Is that a West Philly name? No. Is that an American name? No. Yomo Kenyatta. Yomo Kenyatta. Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Diane Nash. Marion Berry. James Bevel. Bob Moses. The Snick Singers. Harambe Singers. Bernice Johnson Reagan. The Jones Brothers. Ogenga, Odinga, we went down to the peach tree manor to see Ogenga, Odinga. These are Mississippians and Tennesseans and Alabamians. What y'all singing about Africans for? The police said, what's the matter? 
with old Ginga, old Dinga. What? Police, he looked mighty hard at old Ginga, old Dinga. He got scared cause he was a ex mau mau to see old Ginga, old Dinga. Who? Old Ginga, old Dinga, old Ginga, old Dinga, old Ginga of Dinga of Kenya. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ha! Freedom now! These are young people of African descent, any United States American in the, in the South, talking about being in Atlanta when the Kenyan delegate or representative of the Kenyan government, Oginga Odinga, came to Atlanta, the white city fathers telling them oh, we're the city too busy to hate, whatever, and they in there engaged in civil rights protest when Oginga is there, not fooled at all, and they go down to the peace tree, man, to the hotel they got to meet with this brother, and they try to tell him, hey man, these people in the social structure, as we use that category, they lying to you. But you ain't got to tell him that. He see what it is. Thank you for coming to see us. It's your cousin from across the water. He is of the same generation of the brother who was the first leader elected or appointed, elected leader of Kenya, prime minister. In the second verse, he says, Oh, Ginga says, look up here, what's going on down in Selma, which we're going to end in a second with Fred Gray. If you white folks don't straighten up, I'm going to call your mo Kenyatta. Who? Oh, Ginga, oh, Dinga, oh. That's the Kenyatta in Malcolm Kenyatta from Philly. But his name is an East African name because Kenyatta is an honored name. That don't mean the politics are complicated, right? Right? Oh, 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 Kenyatta followed. He was the prime minister in Kenya. You got battles there going on because you still got challenges with this nation state concept. But the name Kenyatta stands for resistance. The Kenyan Freedom Army, which Kenyatta wasn't uh, central to, another brother among the brothers and sisters, uh, of course, Didan Kemati, the name that I was given, Kemati, that name comes from his name. That's my African name. That's what they call me. It's when they call me over there in Buff tonight. I mean, you know, but, you know, but Malcolm Kenyatta, he not in Kenya. He in, he in Harrisburg. And that no chin, five o'clock shadow, rumpled looking, grass cutting, you know, white nationalists banging on that gavel. You can't stop the rain, baby. Your little country coming apart. Why? Because it was never a country to begin with. Now, the point I'm making is this. As the, the Obadelli brothers bring up, and as uh, Amari Obadelli is writing in this piece in the Southern uh, Exposure, the inside and outside strategy must not touch each other. You got laws on the books, right? You never asked us what we wanted. No. You should allow us to, okay. And in the meantime, we're not waiting on you. We're gonna buy land, we're gonna put property together. We'll call this area in Jackson, the Cush District. Now, if you go at 1975 and tell them in 2022, your children will be the elected leaders of Jackson in this ongoing struggle. I'm sure they would say, really? Okay, so, all right. Could you have predicted it? Sure. Could you have predicted it? No. But you put all the evidence that and you try to plot and plan how for now are we free? No. Because the services aren't the best. Why state of Mississippi legislature still trying to strangle them? Amari would say, of course they did. Didn't you read what I wrote in 75 about what they did after Reconstruction? And what they did in the 50s and didn't do, and what they're doing now as they try to assault us and put us all in jail, claim shooting at the police down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got an inside and an outside. We go in the courts, we fight. We go in the street and we fight. And sometimes when y'all ain't looking, we meet up and talk. And even when you are looking, because you know we coordinate, because we know y'all coordinate. Ain't that right, Jenny? Ain't that right, Jen Jen? 
chill a friend hanging around your wrist like a tennis bracelet, Clarence. Did you all talk to each other about Supreme Court cases? No. Now we know you are a whole liar. We know you are a whole liar. You were sitting behind your husband there in 1991 as, he, as they were going witness after witness after witness of black women that Joe Biden didn't allow to testify that all know that all Clarence Thomas was talking to them about was porno. We know who you are, Clarence. We know. We know your fear, your desire. Your desire a little bit different than those white men you're next. Because while they desire blackness, you seem to be hung up on Long Don Silver. Anyway, the point is this. Y'all are liars. Of course y'all talked about it. You coordinated. Y'all prayed together. No problem. What Amari is saying is we know the law is a lie, but we also don't concede the political battlefront. That's why Malcolm Kenyatta is in the Pennsylvania legislation. You should have sent him to the federal legislature. People say, why do you vote? That's just a strategy. It's an insight. Go read the people you care for. Don't you love Amari Obadella? You claim you do. Red, black, and green. I don't care whether you say ADOS or non ADOS. There's a lot of people here who say we don't need to deal with these Africans. I know, I know, but I walked in shape and they had the African newspaper there and it's pan African, along with every other black newspaper. Then as I'm standing outside, let me bring, so I bring this into Atlanta because I saved Fred Gray for the end. No, let me talk about Fred Gray and I'm going to say this to the end. What Baba told me as I was standing out there, as he talked about living across the street. But the place across the street is a nice corner building. It's a church now. It's got all these Pan-African flags. It's beautiful. The flags of Africa, different things. And that was the first shape, 1969. Beautiful building. We're standing in front of our part next to one of two bigger buildings, the shape building here. And he's telling me this story, which I'm going to end with in a second. Before I get there, that inside-outside strategy involves every battlefield. Once we get a sense of who we are, when we get a sense of who we are, then we deploy our action guided by what we want, which means immersed in our memory, which means understanding that grounding, again, shape, self-help for African people through education. That's what we're doing. We've been doing now for two years plus. That's what we're doing in Nubia on Monday nights. That's what we're doing with Baba Mario Beatty. That's what we're doing with Dr. Sunyata Amin. That's what we're doing with all the courses. When you go in Nubia and you see all these different courses, you get lost going through there and you pick the one you want, you click it, and we're dealing with everything. Massa Musa's goal. We're dealing with financial literacy. We're dealing with institution building. We're dealing with education. People are comparing notes. They're going in the room saying, this is what I learned. This is what I learned. This is what I learned. Coming together. And so... That is an inside strategy. How do it free us? And then you got people who are engaged in that system we find ourselves in, that social structure, and they're fighting. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And among them, one of them, two of them, Thursday, got those little medals hung around their neck that the Nigerian newspaper, uh, not the Nigerian newspaper, that the Houston Chronicle, the social structure newspaper, while they got the headline about this white nationalist trying to put out people who've been here longer than his funky ancestors even been wearing clothes. But at the, uh, here, you got Simone Biles getting that totem from Joe Biden, who's found courage with an executive order. But as Amari Obadelli said, the, the law is only as good as the people willing to enforce it. And Joe Biden, you're in a long list of punk presidents. I mean, Dwight Eisenhower from both parties, you know? Um, but on Thursday, one, two of them, two or more of those medals were hung around the neck of Fred Gray and Diane Nash. Um, Diane Nash, of course, from Fisk University, who was one of the leaders of the National Student Movement. And Roland Martin the other night made a very important point. Jim Lawson, James Lawson don't have no medal. 
Now you you're right in giving it to Diane Nash and to get because you're not honoring them, you're honoring yourself. You're trying to keep yourself the project going by weaving this memory. But when you hang that metal around the neck, you gotta understand when I see that metal, I'm not looking at the metal, I'm looking at Diane Nash. I'm looking at a fearless young woman. I'm looking at C.T. Vivian and John Lewis from the Baptist Seminary in town. I'm looking at Jim Lawson, who's over at Vanderbilt, who trained them in nonviolence. I'm looking at a chemistry student, a graduate student who was just short of getting his PhD, who left the academy and became chair of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee after Chuck McDew. That would be a man named Marion S. Berry out of Mississippi by way of Lemoyne Owen in Memphis, Tennessee. So I see Diane Nash, you hanging something around her neck and now you talking about Diane Nash, yeah, but I'm not just looking at her, I'm looking at Septima Clark, I'm looking at Ella Joe Baker, I'm looking at Fannie Lou Hamer, I'm looking at Dorothy Cotton, I'm looking, I'm looking at all of them when I see, that metal don't mean shit to me, bruh. I'm looking at the woman whose neck you're hanging around when I seen Fred Gray. Minister, nice easy minister. When I see Fred Gray, Born in 1930. That would make him 91, going on 92 years old. Still practicing law. His wife made transition, his first wife in 1997. And uh, it was wonderful. He got remarried to a sister out of Ohio, Carol Gray. But his first wife, you know, after she made transition, he, his sons are his law partners. His nieces, nephews, all of them, they all work together. They got a whole crew governance this is governance that's that second category which is really the first we got to get social structure out of the way social structure hangs the metal around your neck governance is the neck that you're hanging it around so we don't get caught up on the metal we're looking at the person because you're honoring yourself because some of the metals was given out to whole ass failures of humanity like rush limbaugh and so the metal you can't never rehabilitate that metal first of all it's red white and blue and it's got that you know in other words you didn't already you know, the whole project is foreign. You're just trying to keep yourself going, but the unintended consequences begin to bubble out. Let me just bring this in for a man. And Fred Gray, barred in the state of Alabama, I think the second person, Preston Law, Montgomery, E.D. Nixon, we trying to bust this segregation thing out. Don't you represent this teenage girl, Claudette Coleman, who's still alive? She ain't got no medal. And we talked about her a lot. A lot of people talking about her now, more and more people, but she's still there in New York. We don't got no medal. The case ended up being Browder versus Gale. Fred Gray took that case. Fred Gray, Martin Luther King's lawyer. Fred Gray, who argued the case, which then on appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States was upheld. They broke the back of segregation while they stayed off the buses in Montgomery, inside, outside strategy. He was the lawyer, Martin Luther King. So many other people he was the lawyer for. The Tuskegee, men of the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Dr. Charles Gamillion, Gamillion versus Lightfoot, where they drew a damn map in Tuskegee and excluded. How the hell you figure out how to draw a map that excludes all the black voters in the black city of Tuskegee? <laughs> and yet, and yet they did it. That was the first case that Fred Gray argued at the Supreme Court in person. The other one was an appeal. The King case was appeal. He walked up the steps of the Supreme Court, 26 years old. 26 years old. Fred Gray. Still alive, still practicing law, just filed a lawsuit because in, in fact, let me just do this right quick because this is what I'm going to read from. Just wrote a book with Dan Abrams. And, this is Dan Abrams. He wrote it with Fred Gray. Dan Abrams and David Fisher. He's a white journalist, fine journalist who, I don't know, do you, do you know either one of them? Uh, no. Okay, Fred. 
interesting, but, but Fred Gray got the stories. Fred Gray ends this book. This is the case, Alabama versus King. Martin Luther King in the criminal trial that launched the civil rights movement. He did his, he also did his autobiography that I showed you all a long time ago called Bus Ride to Justice. He said, um, he ends the book. Here he is, uh, here he is with uh, Dr. King talking about Mario Obadelli inside and outside. He says, early in their relationship, Dr. King told Fred Gray, quote, if we are arrested, we will be calling on you to defend us. This is after they got into an argument because Fred Gray was like, that's the law. And if you broke the law, he said, Fred, I love you. And this law is immoral. So we're going to break the law. And if we are arrested, we will be calling you to defend us. <laughs> in addition to this trial, in 1960, Gray successfully defended that King against charges of tax evasion, although he refused King's request that he move to Atlanta, instead choosing to continue to fight for equal rights in Alabama. He says, in October 2021, Claudette Colvin filed a request with an Alabama court to expunge her conviction, refusing to give up her seat on the Montgomery bus. This is what Colette Colvin said after they expunged it. She says, at last, at age 82, I am no longer a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> now, but this is what Fred Gray said. He says, on the other hand, there are some who were convicted who consider that conviction to be a badge of honor. They don't want their convictions expunged. They want to hang it as a badge of honor. This is, that would be my position. I think when it comes to the case of Marcus Garvey, Garvey, trumped up charge, federal charge, completely should have been thrown out. They trumped it up. They used it to deport him. And it's still on his record. But that is not my position because I'm in the governance structure of African people. You know who won a pardon? His son. His surviving son, Dr. Julius Garvey, won a pardon. Julius Garvey won a pardon? I won a pardon. And we need, there's no reason we shouldn't have a pardon. But he's saying... That was October. But then he says he filed a lawsuit. Let me see if I could find it quick. I won't be able to find it, I don't think. He just filed a lawsuit this fall where, um, I think it's Macon. Uh, is it Macon? Anyway, the town square, they wrote a law where they said, this is in the early, 19th, early 20th century, where they said they gave this land to the United Daughters of the Confederacy to create a white park and to be used by whites only. It said, at such time that this part can't be used for whites only, the ownership will revert back to the town. Fred Gray still practicing law. The last lawsuit he filed, I think it was October, November last year, was to go in and argue that the park is not now white only, it must now revert to the city. He about to put the United Dollars of Confederacy out of their funky ass misery and take that land back because you know now black people running the town. But he cracked, he cracked up, he cracked, cracked us up because he said, because right now, as I'm following the case, on one side of this four square park is Martin Luther King Drive. On the other side, one side is Rosa Parks Drive. And on the other side, is Fred D. D. Gray drive. <laughs> so in other words, I mean, he just had crap. Now, now, this is where I end up on Fred Gray. And then the last story I want to tell, because I want to end up with, with, uh, with, with, with Bobby De uh, Deloitte Parker, where I started. I'm about to tell you about this shape center across the street and how they got the, the other building. That's where we end, because again, this is the power. And Professor Hunter, this is the power of this space we have now, which adds itself to the other spaces that we have this space to connect all those other spaces with each other. Yes. So, Fred Gray gets this medal 
Thursday night, as we, as you all know, you know, I, I'm on with Brother Roland Martin, who of course is from Houston, his sister Loretta Queen, and uh, Roland is asked to MC a dinner for Fred Gray, Fred and Carol Gray. He won the medal, but of course he's a lawyer, so the National Bar Association. He's a member of Omega Psi Phi, so you know the Q's, and he's a member of Sigma Pi Phi, the Boulay. So the Boulay, so the three of them get together. They're gonna have this big tribute for him. Kristen Clark, Deputy Attorney General, is there. You know, ice people. And so, you know, people say, oh, he's petty bourgeois, Negro. Everybody calm down. Did you hear what Mario Bedelli said? Inside, outside strategy. I'm not caping for everybody. I'm saying, but if you ask, how do it free us? If you come in, if your job is go over there, your job is go over there. At some points we meet. We're not going to agree on everything. But if we've got a mutual thing and we're working together, we have to be able to do that. Again, National Black United Front, really the International Black United Front. We have to have a united front. That's what they do. Okay, Donald Trump is a whole ass joke, but they used him as a signing pen. And that's why you now got to get on a bus to leave Texas to go somewhere to terminate a pregnancy and maybe have to get some rubbers and some condoms and some plan B. Oh, and we haven't even talked about if you freezing your eggs later and then they tell you, you can never unfreeze them. Why? Because the minute they unfreeze, you murder. We're going to put your ass in jail. This is where we're at. The country's going to come apart. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? We ain't talking about that. We look at the symptoms. Anyway, the point is they're going to have this dinner. We all rolling and talk. He's talking about it. He said, you know, Gray, what you think? I said, man, Fred Gray. Are you kidding? Fred Gray argued. And I'm talking about the cases. And I said, I, you know, I, in fact, I'm reading his new book, Alabama versus King. It's the new book. Just came out like a month and a half, two months ago. I said, and I got, you know, I got a signed copy of his other book, his, his bus ride to justice. And then Roland says, he not rolling this. Roland said, well, if you can get down here, I'll get him to sign this one. I said, what? Man, we got out that thing about 20 minutes later. I went in, put on, you know, African clothes. I said, I'm going down here to the Mayflower Hotel. I ain't in Sigma Pi Phi. I had the good sense not to be an Omega. My brother-in-law, of course, is an Omega. So, you know, I joined Alpha. I ain't Martin Luther King, W. Du Bois, Paul Robeson. Let me stop because people, yeah, I'm first in my family to go to college. It's complicated. In other words, <laughs> it's complicated, Professor Hunter. Anyway, so and the National Bar Association, of course, this is the black lawyers that came out of the National Business League. This is Booker T. Washington them. So we need some black lawyers to help defend it. So that this kind of emerges out of that. It's Charles Hamilton in Houston. I got all their records and some, some of their proceedings right in the archive. So I'm rushing. I get down there. Now they eating. Roland has interviewed Fred Gray. They done a fireside chat. They pulled out. I'm going to Mayflower Hotel. And of course, the rule, as we know, black people, y'all know this. Uh, when you walk in a space where you ain't got no credential and you ain't got no idea, uh, in the words of MC Light, act like you know. So I'm walking like mm -hmm. <laughs> I open the door, ballroom, they on the dais. You know how the Negro dais, you got levels of the dais, right? In the corner, I see Roland, all white, one of the outfits he brought back from, from God. Last time he was there. Because hmm? I'm in texting. The lady at the front, before you walk in the ballroom, she's sitting there. You see the list. And I know I ain't on nobody list. I said, uh, I'm here uh, for Roland Martin. She said, Do you, does he know you're coming? I said, yes, he just texted me. She said, okay. Keep going. Now, in another life, I'd have been one of them people sitting there eating. It's not that hard. I went to law school to fight for the race. Because at Tennessee State, we fought. When they had to deseg uh, uh, the the, uh, the stipulation of settlement decree from this federal government, Title VI and all that, I went. I clerked for the MSCP to do that, and then I got there and said, "I'm gonna make a course correction." Because how do it free us is always animating my mind, even before I met Sonia Sanchez and got to know her. 
But that question that sister asked when she was in her 20s, that is the question that animates us. It just gave letters and form to that sentiment. So now I'm not going to practice law. I will teach law because I study law. Absolutely. But I'm not going to be one of those guys in that way. I'm going to help law students think through why they're acquiring this tool because there's so there's not enough of that in our law schools anywhere, particularly our black laws. You need to think about this. Well, you know, I'm not going to say it because Texas Southern is here. North Carolina Central is there. FAMU is there. Miles College is there. Howard University is there. And Southern University Law Center is there. So we got people doing that work. But it isn't work where you write a book for 15 other people and they hang a medal around your neck for writing a great book and the people ain't done nothing, but you did quite well. This is very different. So I could have been in that room, but I'm not in that room. I know a lot of people in that room. I saw folks in there. You know, my man Spencer Overton, who runs the Joint Center. You know, I haven't seen Spencer in a long time yet. But I'm, I'm, let me just go right up here on the corner. Because I don't know where they're at in the program. I get to the corner. I see Fred and Carol Gray sitting in the corner. I don't know this man. And you know, I'm from the South. I am an African person raised by Africans from the South. It's a protocol. You don't want to walk up on old folks. Especially a whole ass legend. Like you, Fred Gray, right? So Roland sees me, gets up. He walks to the corner and introduces me to Fred Gray and Carol Gray. I'm saying, brother. It's real honor to meet you. I'm not going to, you know, as you're about to say, you know, sometimes when you speak, you don't have to use a lot of words in your mouth. Don't use a lot of spit in your mouth. So I'm just, you know, he's sitting there. And you know how old black people are, Professor. Just cool as hell. <laughs> and then his wife, oh, it's nice to meet you. I said, yeah. I said, Baba, I got these books here. I have two. Because I had another copy of his memoir that wasn't signed. And I had Alabama versus King. I said, and then I realized they get well, he already called him up to speak. I said, I can wait until afterwards. He's over on the way. He picked he picked the pen up. He said, I don't have time to personalize it, but I'll sign it for you. Sign my book. Sign both of them. And I said, you know, my mother was born in uh, Russell County, open lack of steel. My mother. So Carol said, Oh, she's from there. I said, Yeah, I've been to Tuskegee many times. I might have one day ended up teaching it to us. Maybe I will still end up teaching it to us. I love you. And then he laughed. He's smiling. He said, well, excuse me. I got it. So, oh, no, no. Thank you, Bob. And Roland smiled. He said, yeah. He's introduced me. He says, yeah, all these books, you know, he teaches Howard. And he said, like, you ain't got to say that, man. Just him doing that. Thank you, Roland, for doing that, brother. And thank you, Fred, for signing that book, Bob Fred. And so I retreat. I put the books back in my little cloth bag because I jumped on the train. Boom, down there quick. As I'm walking back, they call him to the podium, literally like within 30 seconds. <laughs> and of course, after it's going to be a whole nother thing. So I stand in the whole back. I didn't leave. I stood in the back with the waist ad and listened to Fred Gray. And this man, this man is in his early 90s. I watched him thank individually, members of his family. He looking out now. You know how them ballrooms are. It's a big ballroom and it's dark. How's this man through these glasses seeing these individuals? Where's someone? Oh, there's someone. So there's someone. So and there's someone. So and he just narrates in that give to the Tuskegee Museum. They didn't start a whole museum after his first white made transition. They started a museum in Tuskegee, another institution that we got to go visit and support. So, you know, he's a he's an inside guy. It don't get no more inside than that. He fought with outside people in Alabama versus King. This, this, the, you know, people we know about the Montgomery bus cat, boys boycott. Yeah, and Fred Gray. Oh, I didn't know about him. I'll read his memoir. No, when you read this, he goes through the trial, and when he goes through the trial and page after page, this is the thing that makes you weep. 
and angry. These are regular ass black people being humiliated by bus drivers. He got them on the stand, Professor Hunter, talking to these black women, washing white people's nasty ass drawers in Alabama, talking about how these funky ass bus drivers treat them. And then they call the police. Veterans calling the police. No, get this nigga. We got a problem. Children, teenagers, Claudette Coleman. Teenage, these children going to the, the, the segregated school. And remember, we talked about that with Claudette Coleman. Claudette Coleman said, I got on that bus that day. That's after they killed my friend in this little funky ass town. And my teacher, we had done Negro History Week. So all people talking about diversity, equity, and we're writing this is the first time curriculum. Go to hell. Y'all don't know nothing about the history of the segregated schools and those black teachers that taught black students black history. You don't know about Cindy George Mom, who did that work, who did that work. And then after integration, did it for white children in, this, in the classrooms too, so much so that adults now when they see her, like, oh, you were my teacher. I know you uh-huh, yeah. You, you don't know. You don't know about them. If you do know, you should be ashamed of yourself. You say, this is the first book, or this is the first curriculum. That's a lie, that's a whole ass lie. Don't open your mouth and put your brain on display in that way. So this book tells a story of how he, with these folk. Now we see him with a metal around his neck and Sigma Pi Phi and Omega Psi Phi and the National Bar Association. The knee jerk reaction sometimes to say, oh man, that's them. No, inside, outside, united front coordinate. So to conclude, standing in front the self-help for African people through education building, one of two out of many buildings here that formed the United Front, including United Front headquarters. I'm standing there talking to Baba Parker, Delroy Parker Jr., Deloitte Parker Jr. And I said, that church, he said, oh, yeah, that was the first one. I said, he said, he said you want to know how we got this building? Yeah, how did, of course I do. It's got murals all on the outside, all the other, I mean, it's beautiful. And the inside, all the stuff, the black newspaper, that's it, the auditorium, the cafeteria, the library, a computer lab, all name, got pictures of all these children from the tours they've had. 30 years they've been taking young people through the South. Summer programs, all kind of stuff, man. And not federal grants, not state grants, community donations. And then if they get a grant, it's, they come in with the demand because they got politicians always. She's the Jackson Lee's district, by the way, third ward. I mean, they fought, this is what y'all gonna do. Again, all together, not everybody doing the same thing, coordinated, united front, moving together. He stands there and he says, there was an elder who lived in this community when we first came in this community. She worked in a white, wealthy white woman's house here. I think Oak Park is the name of the place here in, in, in Houston. They took me by the, these houses, these you know, old, you know, oil money, you know, you know, man. This, he said, this sister, wash the clothes and cook the meals. And, and every day she would come home on the bus and the children at shape would meet her at the bus stop, take her bags, take her home. He said, that's where her house was right there. It's across the street, you know, you come to the intersection, building here, first shape building, second shape building here, our park there. And then across from our park is a lot. You can already see the gentrification. You know how they do. It's empty. I know that somebody's gonna bid on that in a minute. Like looking and they took me through the history. She said that's where she used to live. House not there anymore. She, then she then she made transition. At the funeral, he said, I was at the funeral. We were all there. The old white lady she worked for said, I want to honor her. What can I do? 
He said they told her money. <laughs> that old white lady wrote them a check for $10,000 that they used to put the down payment on the building they now have owned free and clear decades ago the second shape center. And they have gone to Africa. They got a shape center in the Gambia. They have gone, Winnie Mandela gave them the South African flag that hangs in the Council of Elders room, which also doubles as the summer program room when the little children are there. They got all they put. That building, white woman gave them a check for $10,000 decades ago because the older black lady who basically ran her life loved those people in that community. The United Nations of the hood. We can't afford to be fighting each other. How do it free us? How do it free us? Ask Deloitte Parker Jr. how to free us. Self-determination. And then you go out and get what you need to get. But it start with asking that question. So I'm, I'm going to start with that. Hmm. I just, um, you sent me down so many rabbit holes from hmm. the, of the Black Madonna. I'm like, Sitting here, Google. Search. Yes, oh, the shrine. Oh, that's a whole nother. That's what I'm gonna be tonight. That's a whole nother building. We're talking about that another time. In fact, next week, I'll give you an update. I'm going over there tonight. Yes. And it's so important, you know, and I'm studying shape and I'm like, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. People are no. this. And if they're building community, let's yes. rinse and repeat and use, you know, so I'm sitting here, I'm jotting down notes and making connections. I just want to. Well, you got to talk to him. In fact, I told him that. You got to talk to him. No, the Lord Look, I wrote it down and I'm like, okay, this has to be followed up. I'm today years old when I didn't realize that Texas has the largest um, population of black people. Didn't know that. And then, you know, the second largest, Dr. Carr, second largest population of black people, Florida. Do you know the third largest population of black people? Georgia. Georgia. So now you gave me that and I'm connecting these dots and it's like, hmm, Texas, Florida, and Georgia. Interesting. Red state? How's that a red state? Interesting. But Mary Chambers told you that. <laughs> Why y'all keep calling us a red state? <laughs> because but, because we haven't yet activated to what you said right, at the right. very beginning. So, so we have numbers is the point, but they also know we have numbers, which is why they are fighting so hard. And we got to not just fight equally, we got to fight doubly hard. No question. Uh, because they but know. Doubly smart. Doubly smart, yes. Yes. Maybe not as hard. Because I'm telling you, when I went in there, nobody there was busting their behind, but they were all doing their job. The sisters at the check-in, people coming in, the elders sitting there, the ladies working in the cafeteria, the brothers, and somebody came up to him and said, uh, Baba, they don't take uh, this form of payment. He said, we cash apple. This man in his mid-70s talking to another man who had to be at least 70. And they talking about working on a, a some kind of transport vehicle they had. It was a piece they was trying. He said, we're cash apple. Oh, I should. And as I'm walking out, me and, Carol, me, me and Cindy walking out, it was a brother sitting there on the couch. He said, this brother right here, his parents were the first people who walked in the shape. Now, if you, it, it's just like a bunch of Black people sitting around. Now, if you're coming in there for a story about Black achievement, or you're looking for Simone Biles. Well, Simone Biles grew up in Houston, I guarantee you. You say shape, she's going to nod her head. And I'm going to know who's going to get her. Her parents going to her foster. No way. But y'all looking for who are us to you? You know, you can't even see us. So I can't wait for y'all to talk. I mean, they've been doing 53 years, Professor Honey, and took the baton from other people. And it's going back to before slavery, which is why Emancipation Park was the first place any took me. I mean, Jack Yates picture. 
So yes, I mean, it's there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. You're exactly right. But what we did have to do is what you have led us in doing. You create a space where all the people who had wheels can come together. And now we can get us our fleet together. That's right. <laughs> I can't think enough, you know, because it's so easy to fall into this. I'm the first person to do something thing. Right. You know, we're conditioned to, oh, I have this brilliant idea. And then never look to see if anybody else has done it. Right. I never, I never want to be in that position, which is why I'm so grateful to have you uh, as not just a sounding board and a partner and all of the things that yes. I'm doing, but, you know, as a reminder, oh, oh no, no, no. No, that people did this and they did it better. Like all these books coming out about all of the stuff as if you're the first ever, like you say. And it's like, you just don't know enough. And it's embarrassing. And because people don't know enough, everybody is like championing the, the person that's out there. But nah, let's let's honor the people that work before so we don't have to work so hard. That's right. That. That's right. Let's honor the people and the people continue to do it because the answer to our problem is us. Yes. The people are the X factor. That's right. <laughs> the people are the X factor. I, I know you have to run because uh, yeah. you have 50, 11 things to do on yeah. on pure raw energy that nah, you're doing. The people, the people, Kwame Ture, in fact, he was, it was a picture of him, Brother Parker, with Kwame Ture in there. And I was laughing. I said, so I see why y'all didn't need them grants. I mean, he said, as Kwame used to say, you take care of the people, the people take care of you. So I'm going over to see Kofi Taharka chair and the people in national black united front I'm looking forward to that because they are long distance runners and all the people who are no longer here you're right baba uh mario bedelli uh my comrade worrell all them baba sunshine who's ritualist today who sat with my mother and they you know among untold hundreds of thousands of people in this community but atlanta got them durham got them Cleveland got them, Newark got them, Orange got them, New York got them. We just don't, we don't have to be right. Let's let's go, and that's part of what we're doing in in, in yeah. Nubia. People are sharing their stories. Let's 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 let's, let's get it together. Like that, Mama Monday night. Lord have mercy. All right, I'll see you on. Oh my God, yes. We'll talk talk. Say less. They gotta be. Say in less. There. Say less. Y'all y'all gotta come see that. Oh man. That was a whole nother thing. Look, I thought she's talking about that's talking about oh, what about that horse. She said, oh, oh, by the way, since you're talking about horses, she she talking from her farm. I, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna stop right now. <laughs> what? I own the horse and I bought the farm to put the horse. Yeah. Um I own the horse. I love <laughs> and the farm. Yes. Well, um, be safe, safe travels, um, and all of the things, blessings cover you. Uh, definitely, uh, as you uh, impart your wisdom on on so many people, and they, they should be really, really happy that you're there. So I'm happy that uh, you're safe. So I'll see you. Oh, yeah, over my nephew, I same way, Ellington, who I yep. don't name. All right. I seen a little book I gave him. He's a little boy down there, Duke Ellington book. That's all you see. You got He don't remember because he's too young. But anyway, <laughs> but it's here. It's okay. Very important. Love you, Dr. Carr. Thank you. Nubia, see you tomorrow. Maroon's Medicine Chest, Monday, yes. office hours. Office hour. uh, and then I'm going to in. excuse me, playing uh, this video. Thank you, Dr. Carr. Thank you. Y'all already know Sister Cindy and the folks from the National Black United Front took me to your Emancipation Park. Make the first stop right here in Houston. Brother Jack Yates. Yes. Across the street from the El Dorado Ballroom. 
got a chance to see the famous Emancipation Park. Of course, George Floyd, third ward, went to Jack Yates High School, as did Roland Sebastian Martin. What a beautiful day in the city of Houston. Here for MBuff, y'all. See you in a minute.